Tonight, we're going to be talking about something that happens to a lot of us often. Um, I think when things get hard, sometimes we can fall into this temptation of becoming frustrated with God. Um, there's a few different examples that I could give you from long ago, but I want to give you one that's really fresh for me. Um, mostly because I don't want you to think that just because I work in a church um, and I'm the girls minister here that I am not battling my own things um, because I seek the Lord and I pursue him in the midst of my own struggles and trials. Um, So what I'm going to share with you is personal, um, but I love you guys and I want to invite you into my story so you can know what's going on and what God is doing. So uh, my husband and I have been married almost eight years, which is crazy. Um, in April, it'll be eight years. And, um, we got married when I was 21. He was 23. And I always dreamed about having kids. I still do. Um, and we don't have kids yet. You may have noticed. Um, and it's just not the Lord's timing right now. Um, and that's hard for me sometimes, uh, within the past two years, I've miscarried two times. Um, So I've lost two babies, Um, and that's been really hard because there's people in my life all around me that are having kids, and I've realized children are a gift, and it's beautiful. And about six months ago, I was really mad um, about the fact that the Lord was not giving Andrew and I kids, Um, and I was having a really rough day at work and ended up going home early, and Jenny Pierce, one of my really good friends, um, knew that I was having a rough day and she called me and said, I don't care if you don't want anybody, I'm coming to your house and I'm going to bring Starbucks and we're going to sit. And if we just sit in silence, that's fine, but I'm coming. And she came to my house and we sat on the couch and I just cried and told her how angry I was and frustrated I was and why can't I, and why can all these people, And she sat with me, and she comforted me, and heard me, and listened, and prayed with me. And then towards the end, she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, Allie, I have a question for you. She said, Allie, do you trust God to write your story? And in that moment, sitting on my couch with her, I knew the right answer. I knew the right answer was, yes, of course I do. God's in control. Of course I trust him. But if I was honest with myself and what was going on inside of my heart, the real answer was, no, I don't trust him to write my story right now because I don't like the way that he is writing my story. I don't like this. I want something different. I want different circumstances. And I knew that that was a problem. Because oftentimes when we become frustrated with God, it reveals a lot more about us than it does about God. Because your circumstances will change, but God is unchanging. And so in that moment, I knew that I had to put some work into what was going on. So tonight, we're going to be diving into Psalm 13. um, And we find David in the midst of a circumstance, something that he doesn't like. We're going to see how much he doesn't like it. And he's crying out to God. And it's six short verses, but there's so much jam-packed in here that teaches us how to navigate frustration in our lives and frustration towards God. So if you'll read with me, starting in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And so we find David questioning God. So much so that he asks a question the same way four different times. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long, how long, how long? And sometimes in our lives, something happens, something hard happens. And some of you may be all too familiar with this. We tend to bottle it up inside. And you bottle it up and you don't tell anyone. And then eventually, somehow, something triggers you and you explode. That's happened to me far too many times. David isn't bottling it up. He is processing, he is asking God, how long? How long is this going to last? Because I don't know how much longer I can take. And there's someone else in scripture, someone really important, um, that this same thing happens to. And I didn't even realize it until I was studying and I realized how much he can relate to us. uh, And that person is Jesus. Um, And so if we go to Matthew 26, uh, it's going to be up on the screen if you can't get there fast enough. Um, Matthew 26, 36 through 39, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what it says. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And we find Jesus troubled. Most of us may know Jesus is about to be crucified for us. It's the plan. He knows the plan because he's God and he's fully man and he knows what's about to happen. But yet he's asking God this question. If possible, can can we just not do this? Can somehow I avoid having to go on the cross and die and and die in front of all these people? Can we somehow just avoid this? Can you come up with another plan? And then when we turn the chapter to Matthew 27, we see that the plan continues and Jesus is faithful. And we find him on the cross and we find him cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is Jesus, our savior, the one who died for us, for your sin, for my sin, for our wretchedness, who died for us. And he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he knows, he knows the plan. He's at the center of God's will. He's at the center of God's will, and yet he's asking God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? 
And if that doesn't hit you and make you realize how much God can understand our pain and our suffering, I don't know what else does. That Jesus, at the center of God's will, asked God where he was. And that's where we find David saying, My God, my God, where have you forsaken me? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? We then go on in verse 3 and 4. It says, Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And this is a pivotal moment in this psalm. So he's asking questions. He's questioning God. And then he says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. And sometimes we skip over this in scripture. We skip over those names. Okay, O Lord, my God. I've heard that plenty of times. I know you're God. I know you're Lord. And we skip over it. But this is an important thing not to skip over because that word Lord means Jehovah. And Jehovah means God of promise. And God, the name God in that section is Elohim, which means God of power. And so David is calling on the God of promise and the God of power to deliver him. He's calling out on God's character, saying, you're a God who promises. You're a covenant-making God. You're a God of power. And so I'm calling on your character to show you that. I'm calling on your character to show you that I know who you are and you're going to deliver me. He then says, light up my eyes. Well, what does this mean? In Ephesians 1, 16 through 20, Paul writes this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So he calls out to God, the God of power. And we see here that Paul is writing and saying, having your eyes enlightened, but enlightened how? With the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that we have to call on. The Holy Spirit in us, we have this power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us. And we can call on that and say, I need your wisdom. I need that same power for you to help me understand why I am going through this, why this is happening. Would you light up my eyes? Would you give me wisdom and knowledge into why this is happening? And that's what David is doing. David is asking the Lord to give him wisdom through the power that is immeasurable. Finally, we see in verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So there's two different parts here. We see that David puts in his trust in God. But there's this, this picture that we see. So not only is it just present, 
but it's also past. So if you look with me in verse five, it says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And that is this present tense. I am trusting now in your steadfast love. And I don't know about you, um, but for a long time in my life, I had a hard time understanding God's love. And a part of that was because I was basing the love that people on this earth was showing me. And I was looking at their love and saying that that was the love that we received from God, which is totally backwards. God's love is this steadfast, reckless love that is never ending. And truly, we can never even comprehend it. But we need to stop looking at all these broken relationships around us and basing love off of that because it cheapens the love that God has for us. Because we base their love and we say, is that what your love looks like? We need to look to God for him to define what love looks like. Because then in these moments when you need to call to him in moments of frustration with your circumstances and suffering, you can know what his love is. And that's so important. We then see in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me, which is past. So we have present. I'm trusting in your character, who you are. You love me. You are steadfast. You are this anchor that I'm secure in. And then past. You have dealt bountifully with me. And I know I talk about this all the time. You may be sick of hearing about it, that I journal. But the reason why you're laughing, I know, you're rolling your eyes too. The reason why, I'm joking. The reason why I journal is so that I can look back. Because if I don't journal anything, I'm not going to be able to see with my eyes the things that God has done. And I didn't always do this super well. Um, there was a period of time that I didn't journal and that in fact was the worst time in my life. Um, but I use journaling as a way to document so that I can go back and see what God has done in my prayers, in my quiet time with him. And that's why I do that. So I can, like David say, because he has dealt bountifully with me because he's faithful because I've seen him do it before. And this situation is no different. This isn't the situation that's going to change God. This isn't the situation that's going to change his character. And we need to remember that sometimes. So we see that David has questioned God and he's pleading for deliverance and he puts his trust in God. And I think there's three key things that we can learn from David through this. First one is this. It is okay to have a healthy posture of questioning before God. And what I mean by that, and I want to stress the word healthy, because we have to be careful that we don't approach God like we are more powerful than him, that we know more than him. But it is okay to process out feelings because he's given us emotions and feelings. It's okay to process those things out before the Lord. And so there's this picture, if you can put it up there, so that's me in Iceland, uh, which was a super cool trip. Um, but what's behind me are icebergs. And if you know anything about an iceberg, you know that you can see the tip, but there's a whole bunch underneath that you can't see. So you see just the top, 
but all the stuff on the bottom is hidden and you can't see it and you don't know how, how big it is down there. If it's small, if it's bigger, you have no idea. This is essentially what it is like with the Lord. Okay. God sees everything and we see this small piece, but he sees it all. And we have to come before God with this healthy posture of questioning because God sees the whole picture. He sees the picture that we don't see. He sees how he is like threading everything together to work out perfectly. So when you are questioning God, that can look like journaling. It can look like praying out loud. It can look like talking with a friend just the same way that I was talking with Jenny. There's another person in scripture. You might be familiar with his story, Job. Uh, Everything was taken from him. Everything. His family, his livestock, his health. Everything was taken. And he comes before God in Job 3. And he literally says to God, why was I even born? Curse the day of my birth. Why did you even bring me here if this is what was going to happen? And in Job 38, the Lord answers him and says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? Can you comprehend the expanse of the earth? Were you there when I created this animal and this animal and this place and this place? And he goes on and on and on and on. And Job comes before God with this healthy questioning. And God answers him and says, buddy, I'm God and you're not, and you don't see everything, and you weren't there from the beginning. I was, and I know what I'm doing, and I haven't changed. And then he allows Job to talk back to him in the following chapter. And Job basically like crouches down and is like, you're right, I'm, I'm humble before you. But it's okay to have a healthy posture of questioning before God. And we see that David did that. And it's good to process things out. Secondly, when suffering comes, we need to keep a holy perspective. So within seasons of suffering, we get the choice uh, to decide what we're going to do with it. Will we accept it as this holy exercise or will we give up and let it shake us? And you put yourself through all kinds of situations to make yourself better, whether in sports You're in basketball, you're running suicides or horses or whatever they're called here in Texas. Massachusetts, we call them suicides. Um, If you play an instrument, you play guitar, you know that at the beginning when you're trying to learn how to play guitar, you have calluses all over your fingers because your fingers are getting stronger. If you work out, you know that when you're lifting You're literally ripping the muscles that are inside of you to make them stronger and bigger. And so you put yourself through all kinds of exercises all the time just to improve yourself. But when you come to a difficult circumstance, family problems, stuff going on at home, stuff going on at school, an injury, whatever it may be, Maybe you just can't get rid of the thoughts in your head. Maybe you're wrestling with something and you feel like this is just never going to end. It's never going to go away. 
we don't always approach it like a holy exercise. We don't always approach it that this is something that God wants to use to grow us into something better than before. We think, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? How long is this going to last? Because I don't need this. I don't need this in my life and I don't want it in my life. And that's how we approach it. But we need to come to it with a holy perspective, looking at it like a holy exercise, a way that we can grow closer to the Lord. And I know that you can't always see it. You can't always see how you're changing. But little by little and over the years, you get to start seeing how God has grown you. If you knew me five years ago, you might not like me, to be honest. Uh, I was really negative and sad and, and it was awful. But I've seen how the Lord has just grown me in all these little trials and sufferings and moments in my pursuit of him. He has changed me from the inside out. So when suffering comes, don't run the other way. Come before God and say, I don't like this. In fact, I hate this, but I want you to use it to change me. Finally, the third thing. We need to fix our eyes on God's character in the present and his faithfulness from the past. Which means you need to keep your mind focused on the truth about who God is. And this is going to take action on your part. You don't just sit in a room and just sit there and do nothing and expect that God is just going to swoop in and everything's going to be better. You actually have to take action and pursue God and pursue remembering and calling to mind who he is. And so that day when Jenny and I sat on the couch, it didn't just stop there. She left and she went home and then she texted me later and we have this thing that we do for each other that is now kind of, we call it a tradition. Uh, when we're going through something, um, we'll go on what we call a worship drive um, where we literally blast music, worship music, one song after another. And we basically lose our voices by the end, but we worship God in the midst of hard things. And we go for as long as it takes, half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, doesn't matter. We get in the car together, we carry each other's burdens, and we worship God, and we pursue God. Because that's the thing that's going to change us. That's where we need to anchor to in the midst of hard things. And I'm so grateful for a friend who will do this for me. Because not everybody does that. That's the kind of friend that I want to be for people. I want to help them pursue God and give them what's actually going to help them. And so that night we went on a drive and we pursued God's character and praised him and worshiped him. And by the time that I got home, we sat in my driveway and she prayed with me. And I walked back into my house that night feeling more hopeful than I did before. Because I had put my eyes, I had fixed my eyes on who God is. And that's what David does in verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
And David starts to direct his feelings rather than letting his feelings direct him. And that's a really hard thing to do because we feel things sometimes and we just run with it. You feel angry, you feel annoyed and you run with it. But to have self-control and to direct your feelings rather than allow your feelings to direct you is what we need to be doing. And we see evidence of that in Psalm 13. Psalm 13. 